Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Kyle Lee of Alaskan Salmon Company. During college, he recognized the disconnect and quality of salmon in the States and what he had back in his freezer in Alaska. He began researching the industry with curiosity that there must be a better way to deliver fresher, wild-caught Alaskan seafood without the middlemen. With that, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Kyle Lee of Alaskan Salmon Company. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Cameron. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Super excited to be here. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Yeah, so my upbringing, originally born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. But honestly, my story starts, you know, way before that. So I kind of preface it a little bit. My parents are originally from Taiwan. And so they immigrated over to Alaska in the late 70s. Um, and much like many other immigrants have a very similar story where they just hustled and worked two to three jobs. You know, they uh, had like a one bedroom apartment they shared with my aunt and uncle. And they, you know, just like all grinded work together um, in order to save up and, you know, build a future for themselves. Mm -hmm. Fast forward a few years, they had me and they opened up a couple fast food restaurants in town. Mm -hmm. One's called Chopsticks and one's called Thai Garden. They're still running it to this day. So they've been, oh, wow. they've been in business for over 30 years. Amazing. Um, so yeah, my kind of upbringing was in the restaurant. So my parents, you know, they couldn't really, they couldn't really like afford daycare or anything like that. And they were just so busy. I, I remember like, I've seen pictures of me like being strapped. What are, what are those called? Like swaddled being like yeah. swaddled on my mom's back or like, like in front, like when she's running the cash register or like rolling egg rolls in the back, you know? So that's, wow. and so that's like when we were really small. And then even when we grew up, my sister and I, you know, we'd spend like Halloween's there. There's like pictures of us, like running around the back with our costumes. And um, so, yeah, that was kind of my upbringing. I think that, you know, obviously shaped who I am today. I learned like just being surrounded in that business environment, sharing how my parents would interact with them, like between each other, you know, during work hours, after work hours, and also like with suppliers and vendors. Um, and so I think that gave me like a good understanding of like, uh, kind of like the daily operations or like the normal cadences of running a business. Definitely. Um, in those early years, did you, have, did you have an entrepreneurial mindset, say helping out your parents at the restaurant or say your teen years, what, what did that look like? That's, that's a great question. So, you know, back then I didn't, I didn't think much of it. I didn't think it was like an entrepreneurial thing. It was just, right. It was what I was raised around, what I was used to. So actually my first in like entrepreneurial, like in Denver, endeavor, I was in elementary school, you know, I would get like a weekly allowance, like a couple bucks. And mm -hmm. we had like a neighborhood clubhouse. I think it was like managed by our HOA or whatever. And they'd sell like candy. So I went and bought a pack of sour skittles. And at the time that was like brand new sour skills just came out and I loved them so much, but I was spending like half my weekly allowance on one pack. Oh, wow. and then, uh, I've, you know, heard of, the the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. And so when I bought my next pack of sour skittles, I, I, I planted them in my yard. Like I took a risk. I spent all like half my allowance buying this bag of sour skittles. I planted them hoping that they would grow. <laughs> and provide more sour skittles but unfortunately my first entrepreneurial endeavor was a bust but 
it was a good learning, good learning experience. Oh my gosh. That's great. <laughs> so I saw you ended up going to the university of Colorado, uh, in 2010. Uh, what did you end up studying there and what led you to attend this university? Yeah, that's a good question. So, yep. I, 2010, I went to the university of Colorado. I ended up getting my degree in accounting and finance. Um, how I ended up there was primarily, I was also there for like an athletic scholarship. I played soccer for the university and right. also um, they had a pretty, pretty well-known business program. Okay. Uh, with your time there, were you a part of any athletics? You said soccer. How long did that continue? Yeah. Any clubs as well? Yeah. Um, I played, I played soccer. I played soccer for the school for all four years. Okay. Um, and uh, we didn't have any fraternities or anything like that. So I didn't have any, no, I didn't join any other clubs. Definitely. So following your time in college and private. It's to- also, you know, you know, Colorado and Alaska, like they're very similar. Yeah. Uh, like we have like the same interests, like very outdoorsy, like you can go skiing or like, it's really easy to go on a nice hike and be outside. Is that what you're doing during your college years pretty much too as well? We're spending a lot of time outdoors and skiing. Yeah, spent not not so much skiing, but yeah, being outside a lot, running, hiking. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, following college and prior to the Alaskan Salmon Company, um, what kind of jobs were you working then with this degree? Yeah, so <clears throat> my yeah throughout college, I would you know during the summer times I was commercial fishing, and then when I was actually in Colorado during the semesters, I was doing intern- various like business internships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right out of college, I, I moved back to Alaska and I started working at our investment bank there. Okay. But then I also, you know, at that time, I had already fallen in love with, with fishing. So may, maybe I'll bring it back, like how I originally started commercial yeah, fishing in perfect. the first place. So com- commercial fishing is like traditionally like a multi-generational affair, like you know, my great grandpa fish and then my grandpa fish and my dad fish and now I fish, right? So that's yeah. like the more traditional route where like my family, I'm the first venture into commercial fishing. And so it was really unique because when I was in college, a buddy of mine, his dad was fishing and then bought, you know, bought a boat for him. And I was like, man, I would, I would love to try it. I've seen the deadliest catch. Like you guys are a bunch of badasses. It looks like a ton of fun. And for yeah. me, my my experiences were working in the kitchen or, or, you know, playing soccer. So I didn't have any like physical labor, like under my belt. I'd never done anything like that. And I wanted to try it. Yeah. I was like, he's like, yeah, you know, come out, you know, you can come fish for us with us for like a week or two. And Cameron, I was so, I was so excited about the opportunity. I didn't even care if I got paid or not. I was like, I just wanted to do it. Yeah. And just had a blast. It was a gorgeous summer. It was like 70 degrees which is really nice in Alaska. Okay. Really nice in Alaska. And you're, you know, you're out on a boat on the water, like fishing with one of your best friends. And like, what more could you ask for? So really fell in love with the lifestyle. Okay. And then, so now fast forward after college, I accepted my job and a boat and someone was retiring out of commercial fishing. So Mm -hmm. like they were selling their whole boat and permit package, which is also very rare. And then so my friends told me about it and they're like, Hey, like this deal won't last, won't last a long time. Like you should, you should do it. Yeah. And then now, now I'm stuck in between the dilemma. Like, okay. Like my parents helped put me through college. 
you know, they sacrificed their life, like working every single day to give, you know, me this opportunity at the American dream. Like, what do I do? Like, they obviously want me, me to stay with my job. Yeah. But then I'm torn because I'm being pulled against something that I really love and something I have a huge passion for. Mm. I think a lot of people face that problem. Like, what do I do? Yeah. Like traditional route, what society thinks I should do versus what makes me happy. Definitely. Right. So that was, that was really tough. Um, but at the end of the day, I was just like, Hey, I'm young, I'm smart, but commercial fishing, I'm only going to be young and like physically able to do something like this now, totally. not later. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. I, I took out a huge loan, uh, wow. borrowed as much money as I could from anyone who'd lend me money, uh, and bought the bone permit and wow. uh, started commercial fishing. Amazing. So can you get, kind of describe that time period from uh, leaving that last job and to really fully going on board and what was going through like your mindset, especially at this point, I know it's a big risk. Um, but what was the scope, like the five-year scope that you wanted to achieve to prove to like your family, also to yourself that this is what you could do? Yeah. So that time period um, was about when I initially found out about the boat and permit being like for sale to the actual fishing season was like three months. So it was like really fast. So during that time, I tried to do as much like due diligence as I could. And yeah. I'm pretty young, like no experience. So I don't really know much, but I was, I was asking all my friends that I had met in fishing, a lot of really successful business people that I had known like, Hey, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is what I want to do. What do you guys think? Mm -hmm. And also at the time, fishing permits were like peak prices. Like these permits, like when I bought in, it was $240,000. And so like everyone was like, yeah, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> like it's a terrible time to buy in. You don't have nearly enough experience. You've only been on the boat for less than a full season. Like, yeah. Don't, don't do it. Everyone said, don't do it on both sides. Like wow. my parents, like on the professional, like all my parents, they're like, don't do it. Stick with your job. And then even also on the commercial fishing side, all my buddies are like, yeah, don't do it. Wait a couple of years. You know, so I had in those very early days, I had no one supporting me, but I just wanted to do it so bad. Yeah. I was like, I'm capable. I'm smart. I'll figure it out. And then, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was how I initially started. That was like the thought process at first. First, I wanted some support. Yeah. I didn't get that. And then, so the next I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to have support. I got to rely on myself. I got to just chug away, just do it. Um, and then, so, yeah, once the actual, you know, fishing started, um, you know, it was a lot different. Like I didn't have to deal with a lot of the outside pressure, right? Like I had already made a choice. Yeah. So that part was already beyond me, behind me. So like the next step was like, okay, how do I stay alive and make some money fishing? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So um, as, as we evolved into the actual construction of the business, uh, you have the direct-to-consumer model. I'm curious. Um, I, I love the line you have on your website. You were catching the fish you were catching is different than what we see in grocery stores. Um, can yeah. you explain like the problem you noticed with the the current fishing market at that time or the current salmon market to what you wanted to solve? Yeah. So that's, that all started. I realized there was a, a dislocation in the market or just dis, disconnect in the market when I was still in college, right? After that first year of commercial fishing, that first summer, my captain was nice enough to let me bring home some salmon and I would bring it to school, you know, cook family meals for the boys, like on our spaghetti nights, whatever. <laughs> and then when I'd go to the grocery store, obviously I'd check out the seafood display mm -hmm. and, you know, even in Colorado, which is like a very, very accessible state, like 
what they were offering, it, it, it was labeled as wild Alaskan salmon, but it looks so different from what was in my freezer. Hmm. Like the color was lackluster, like the meat was falling apart. It just like didn't look good. But th- that was normal to them. That's just what they're used to for wild salmon. And I started doing more research. Like, why is that? Like, how is mine so like, why is mine bright red and like super fresh? And there's, <laughs> frankly, it's not. Yeah. And that's when I learned that. Alaska seafood, it, it's a commodity, right? And it's treated that way. So it's because it's so far away geographically, um, a lot of it is exported overseas to be processed. You know, mm. it's frozen, sent overseas to be processed, re-imported and distributed because it's cheaper. Yeah. You know, it's cheaper, but like this, like seafood is so delicate. So like every time you freeze and thaw it out, like the quality starts to deteriorate. Mm. And so that's, yeah, that's the reason why all the grocery stores, like, you know, that's where that disconnect was. And so that's when I realized, okay, there's also this, this opportunity. And that was also like part of like the driving force. And I bought in and no one had support, like no one really supported me. But in the back of my mind, I knew that there's also this like secondary opportunity that I could pursue on top of just the commercial fishing. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, France and Son offering high-quality, stylish furniture, lighting, and decor at a reasonable price. When I'm looking around, especially for studio setup or for your home, it's so important to have an aesthetic piece that's affordable but also high-quality at the same time. When I was looking around, I saw France and Son, and I did not hesitate any further when I saw some of the furniture items they had that can benefit the studio space. So make sure to check out France and Son at franceandson.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. So at the uh, early years of launch, where were you sourcing your fishing? Was it specifically all Alaskan and who, who was the fisherman for this, et cetera? Was it yourself and some friends or what did that look like? Yeah. So once we, once I actually started commercial fishing and I knew, right, there's this idea I wanted to test out. Can we go directly to the people who wanted it and just provide a higher quality salmon? And so we were selling like, the fish we were selling was strictly from our own catch, right? We had no customers, so that wasn't a problem. And then, but at the same time, I didn't have any, like, I didn't have any connection in the food service space. My parents own two restaurants, but they're two fast food restaurants in Anchorage. Yeah. So in regards to like the lower 48, that was like non-existent. So I honestly just Google searched top sushi restaurants in the country. Because right? those are the people who are going to care about quality the most. You know, Definitely. Like, master sushi chefs and michelin started restaurants um and then saw there's like a good concentration in dc and my my cousins lived there too and so i bought a ticket down there and just went hit the hit the pavement and had my cousin drive me around for a day drop me off at rent at restaurants and i would go in and talk to these chefs with no no samples just telling the story like hey my name's kyle i'm a commercial fisherman i want to skip all the middlemen i want to ship directly to you yeah and a lot of them was like who the hell is this kid <laughs> how did you get in here in the first place right yeah <laughs> and then uh but I, you know i was lucky that they were willing to give me a shot and you know i've maintained like great relationships and made great friends since then amazing so i'm curious from uh, your pov especially the early years i'm sure you had some struggles compared to now uh, what did the logistics and shipping look like when catching the fish, conserving it, packaging it, and then actually shipping it to the consumer? How does that look? Yeah, the so the whole process looked like we would, depending on when we could fish. So 
Alaska seafood is like, it's, it's considered the gold standard for sustainability because we are managed at a, a state and federal level. So mm-hmm. like every single day, multiple times a day, you know, we've got Alaskan fish game checking to make sure we have enough fish escape, you know, essentially make it by the commercial fishermen to make it up river to spawn. Yeah. And so the timing can vary. Like they'll be like, okay, Hey guys, you guys can go fish for 24 hours tomorrow or, you know, they'll restrict the amount of time or where we can fish depending on what they're seeing in that given season. Um, so yeah, when we started, they'd be like, okay, you guys can fish for 24 hours. We start from 7am Monday morning, fish till 7am the next day. And then we would come back to port and then we would, this is where our, our operation was a lot different than other mm-hmm. commercial fishermen. When other, when the fishing period ended, everyone else would just go home, like, you know, then go to sleep, take a nap, take care of the boat. When we finished fishing, that's when an, the next set of work started. We'd have to fillet and cut all the fish. Mm. Right. And then, so we'd spend another 12 hours. Wow. Filleting all the fish. And for us, it was just, it was just the three of us. And wow. this is our first time doing it. So obviously we were a lot slower. Um, and then, so once we play it, we would package it, put it in dry or put it in a box with ice. And then we box it up and then put it on a, a jet. Mm. And so that, that, that time frame is it's very short. So like from the moment we caught it to delivery to our, our restaurants, it was 48 hours. Okay. Right. So like we were getting salmon all the way from Alaska to DC within 48 hours, which is, which was like unheard of. Yeah. Right. So it was insane. So like all those chefs that took early on that took a sh- chance on us like they loved it and uh it's been really cool like first like seeing their their reaction and being able to be a part of you know their operation too definitely in those early years especially um especially gaining the credibility from these chefs uh what was the main marketing strategies to to prove that you, the difference compared to other uh companies yeah, out there? that's that's hilarious because we had no marketing strategy. It was yeah. because like we had no pro like I couldn't even offer samples. Like I was in so much yeah. debt, like whatever fish that we had caught, I had to sell. I couldn't afford to put up extra inventory to just give out for free. Um, and so my marketing strategy was, you know, show up at these restaurants, find the decision maker and tell them like, this is what we can do and execute on that. And I think a lot of people like, especially like, the chefs like they understand if i think from their point of view is like if this kid is even like slightly telling the truth and what he can do it's definitely going to be worth it for us to take that initial risk to see if he actually comes through on it because delivering to them within 48 hours is so fresh and like for them is like they've never had an opportunity like that before um or if they had like very few do so yeah yeah, our marketing strategy was really just get in front of the chef or decision maker and introduce ourselves. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Love it. So w- what time period was it um, where you shifted from, you started going to restaurants and chefs, and then uh, you are today going to consumers and, and home. So what, what was yeah. that point? And I, I'm sure there's a lot of logistics that happened with, with that. Yeah. So that, that point, we really made the big switch was like in when the pandemic happened. Because okay. all of our business, like, you know, just overnight, just shut off. Yeah. All of our restaurants just completely done. And then all of a sudden we were just like, oh shit, what do we do? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's different when it's just like, you know, you're a solo founder and you're like the only one on, on the payroll. It's no big deal. But I had crew members 
Mm. Right. They trust me working with me to be able to provide them with the check to feed their families. Yeah. Right? So all that extra pressure like started to uh, creep up and I just took some time and was like, okay, well, who are we? Like what, what was our objective and our mission in the first place before we even started? What was our goal? Like, what are we doing today? And it was right. Making seafood more accessible, making high quality seafood more accessible. And I was like, okay, well, if people aren't eating at restaurants, they've got to be eating at home. Yeah. And so I built up this nasty, really heinously ugly landing page. Cameron, honestly, it's like Shopify, like there's so many like template builders that make it so easy to make a beautiful landing page. I still manage to ruin it. Like it's really <laughs> ugly landing page. And, uh, you know, we put it up and just, it was a one pager. I told us, you know, someone started like, Hey, like we're a group of commercial fishermen. We want to cut out the middleman. We want to ship directly to your homes. Yeah. That's all we had. That's all I really like for my skill set. That's all I really knew how to do at the time. And we, we put it online, wrote a couple blogs and yeah, within the first month we saw like insane traffic. We got 4,000 people signing up to our wait list. Wow. And for like a brand new, I mean, you know how hard it is to like rank on Google, like a yeah. brand new site with like no backlinks like ground zero like that was like insane that's amazing and so like so that first step we're like oh my god like people are really interested but then the next the the thought behind my head was like okay this is like a really easy list like or ask all they had to do is give me their email who knows if they're actually going to convert yeah right and then so like we just kept working and then at the time the season hadn't start started yet but then once the season started we opened up you know opened up sales and it took off we did six figures in our first month Wow. And so uh, that, yeah, that, that, I think that shows the strength of like, like what we're doing and like people, like there's a demand for it. Totally. You know, people care about where this, where the seafood coming from. And like you said, like the, the people behind the product. Definitely. It's amazing. Um, so w- when you switched over to really direct consumer and home, I'm, I'm curious when you noticed this spike, uh, what was the main demographic that you noticed, especially being completely new to this market for you guys? What, what did that look like? You know, it's going to be pretty surprising, but our demographic is, we have a strong demographic in like the millennial uh, Gen Z, uh-huh. like the later Gen Z, which is very surprising. You know, we thought it'd be like, but we, uh, there's not like one that's like, they they are skewed like a little bit more, but we have a balance across like all demographics. Like, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's also something we're still trying to figure out. Totally. So I, I would say we got a full spectrum of people who are buying seafood, people who are buying it, you know, because they just really love the taste and they love like they love salmon, they love sushi, sashimi, and then there's also a huge chunk who are eating for you know, to like solve a problem, like solve like their medical or, you know, like their doctor recommended it, things like that. So we do have a, yeah, full spectrum. Amazing. Um, From this, this consumer model at home, I'm curious, uh, what does that process look like? I know from the chefs in the earlier years, uh, 42 hours or whatever that was, that time for 48 delivering, Uh, what does that look like from home? Is it the same strategy from there? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. So it is, we have additional steps when we go direct to consumer. And so, yeah, the chefs, they can receive it within 48 hours. Yeah. Um, but for us, we have extra steps because we want to make it more convenient to consumers. For example, you know, when we, when we send it to the chefs, we, 
it's fresh, not frozen. Um, but then when they get it, they have people to like fillet the fish and they also have their own flash freezers, mm. which is really important for, to make it sushi grade. Yeah. Right. And so most consumers don't have these freezers that can go to negative 20 degrees. So we have that at our facility. So how our, our how the restaurant business business models differ from the consumer is the additional stuff that we take, we fillet it and then we portion them into convenient six ounce portions. So the customer doesn't have to do anything. Um, and then we flash freeze it at negative 20 for a minimum of three days. And then that qualifies for sushi grade. And then, you know, we box it up and ship it directly to the home. So then by the time they get it, there's no additional work for them. They don't have to cut the fish. They can put it straight in their freezer or, you know, take a couple pieces out and thaw it out for uh, that night's dinner. Amazing. I'm yeah. curious, uh, through the years, what have you found to be your best seller, especially from consumers at home? Our best seller for sure is our Copper River salmon. Okay. Are you are you familiar with it? Have you heard of Copper River salmon before? I, I have not tried it, but I've heard of it. Yes. Okay, cool. And so I guess I'll just give a quick rundown for you know the listeners who haven't yeah. heard of it. You know, there are there are hundreds of rivers that salmon return home to back in Alaska. But what makes Copper River specifically so unique is that it's over 300 miles long. So it is the most, uh, it's the most intense migratory route out of any salmon run in Alaska. Mm. What that means is as the salmon is growing up, you know, living its life out in the ocean, it has to eat a ton of food and build up a lot of fat in order to make that 300 mile journey home. Yeah. Because once they... You know, they're out, they're out, they live in the ocean, but the moment they hit that fresh water to return home to spawn, their body like changes. They go into reproduction mode. So they stop feeding. So they have to essentially have enough fat to last, you know, two to four weeks of swimming, which is a lot. So the salmon that Copper River salmon carry an insanely high amount of like omega-3 high fat content. And which is why it makes it so famous because it's just got you know, much better flavor. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So I like to conclude each episode with this. Um, if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, uh, what would that be? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. My one advice to entrepreneurs is um, believe in yourself. Okay. It sounds super like cheesy, but believe in yourself because if you don't, no one else will. Mm, I think with like my story, that's definitely how I started you know, I, yeah, that'd be my advice. Amazing. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out aksalmonco.com. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode around Kyle's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to say thank you to our closing sponsor, Bed Voyage, offering 100% luxury bamboo sheets that are gentle on hair and skin. Personally, I've used so many different types of sheets before. Either they make me too hot or they're too rough. But the amazing part with viscose bamboo, specifically with Bed Voyage, is that their cooling fabric is temperature adjusting for better sleep. Also with that, they are naturally resistant to bacteria, keeping your linens fresher for longer. So make sure to check them out for yourself at bedvoyage.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout for 15% off your purchase and free shipping. That's bedvoyage.com and code STARTINGSMALL at checkout. I'll see you next week.